This episode of Mate was made possible thanks to Open Universities Australia, where you can now study single module postgraduate units from leading Australian universities without having to enrol in a full university degree. To find out more, head to open.edu.au. This is Mate, a podcast about marketing, advertising, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'm a digital strategist and entrepreneur. In today's episode, we're revisiting the most downloaded episode of Mate of all time. It's an interview I did with Tommy McCubbin last year. He's a creative director and has some really interesting entrepreneurial endeavors. Back when we recorded this, we discussed why some of Tommy's startups failed. We talk about his really successful podcast, Future Sandwich, and Tommy makes some radical predictions about why the advertising industry is failing, some of which are starting to come true. Stick around after the interview for an update on what's happening in Tommy's life. Spoiler alert, he's no longer working at an advertising agency and is working on some really exciting projects right now. So, let's go talk to him. Who are you and what do you do? So, my name is Tommy McCubbin. I am... 35. Uh, I live in Melbourne. I've got two little boys and I'm married. Uh, and that's kind of the centre of my world. Outside of that, I, uh, for a crust, I work for an ad agency, an advertising agency, if that's the best way to describe it. I don't think it is, but um, I'm a creative director. I have got a real fascination with technology, the impact that's having on us. So I'm trying to explore as much of that front line as I can. Um, I make a podcast called Future Sandwich, which explores future trends and talks to people making the future happen today, as well as I work really closely in the startup community with a number of interesting businesses who are essentially on the forefront of doing stuff like it hasn't been done before. I'm really curious. You, you're the first guest of mine who is, uh, has led their introduction um, with, with family. Why is that? I think it's like the the one constant um, and the one it's really like to get really deep really quickly. I think <laughs> it's the only thing that ultimately matters. Yeah. Do you know? I think that there's a, I'm not sure where I got it from, but an anecdote of who are the people that are going to be next to you on your deathbed, do you know? And it's going to be, you know, God forbid, it's a horrible picture, but it's not going to be my work friends, mm. put it that way. Um, and so... Family is where I get sort of the most fulfillment and the most kind of uh, reward. Um, and I think uh, I'm, I'm lucky. I've got a very happy, healthy family, which I'm incredibly proud of. And um, that by far and above is the is, is number one in my world. Hmm. So, start there. It makes sense. That's great. I love it. I love it. Uh, it shows uh, what you, you really value. So, you have a very long list of, uh, of things that you're doing, Tommy. How do you... <laughs> How do you fit it all in? Um, well, I, I, I fit it all in because I'm, I think I'm a decent um, planner, but I think also the stuff that I do fit in is stuff that I enjoy doing. Not much of that stuff that I do is a chore. A lot of it is really fun. So in my downtime, I'm actually being quite productive on that list of stuff. Um, and that's, you know, uh, I would... Um, Rather sit there and sketch out a new product than kind of sit in front of five episodes of Suits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's kind of a reflection on when you have something you really enjoy doing, um, you just find the time to do it because you just lean forward into it and, and that's what you do. Yeah. I'm a list guy as well. I'm, I've got a daily ritual of writing the list and that I find is a, is a secret source to getting shit done. Are you a... Are you a handwritten list guy? Like, yeah. ha- what's your what's your workflow? Uh, I have a combination. I have I use AnyDo as my list on the app, which I think is um, mm. awesome. I've been sort of everywhere in the whole reminders mm. ecosystem. Have you tried um, OmniFocus? No. So I don't know if you had to listen to. Uh, I think it's episode four of uh, of Mate. Um, we had Lee Price, who yeah. you may have actually worked with. Um, on, on the podcast, and he was talking. He he just got on board uh, this this to do uh, app called 
OmniFocus, um, and I'm just trying it out at the moment. It, it, it's really cool. Um, it's, it's about $60, I think, to buy, so it's, it's a little bit pricey, but it's like super powerful. Like you can set up all these weird workflows. You can have um, what they call contexts. So it only shows you the, the tasks that you can do in a particular context. So you might have a, a work context or a home context or an out and about context, um, and it will only show you the things you can do in those situations. It's really cool. Wow. Just like you think the list is pretty simple, but... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been using it, but I, I still feel like uh, the, the written list is in some way... Um, it's almost like calming for me. Like I'm able to like get what's in my head out. Uh, yeah. and, and that's actually quite important for me because I yeah. feel like it's all bouncing around. I get very stressed out if, it's, if, if there's things that I feel like I'm, I haven't like recorded somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah... Um, I wanted to ask you uh, about a couple of things that sure. you you touched on in your intro there. Um, firstly, you talked about working in an ad agency or an advertising agency and how that is maybe not a great way to describe what you do. What do you mean by that? I think I like I hate ads. Like with a, well, sitting through an ad break <laughs> is something I avoid at all costs. I'll be um, I'll be watching. Uh, medium show on the ABC when I know there's a better show on Channel 10 just purely because the ad breaks <laughs> great on me so when I come to work and we're tasked with making ads it's great to have that at my core to say look let's make something which doesn't feel like an ad mm. let's make something which doesn't resemble a commercial what can we do which creates great value for our clients customers or potential customers and quite often it is a new product or it's a film which people choose to see as opposed to us cramming into um, and interrupting their favourite TV show in a 30-second module. I think um, what we do here, which is great, is we we make platforms and uh, products instead of campaigns or like one 30-second film which we repeat two and a half thousand times over a two-month period mm-hmm. and expect people to still be entertained. After that three months, mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of legacy which um, is dying a very slow death um, in traditional advertising. Mm. Certainly, um, the certainly from a media perspective. I mean, and then from a journalist perspective as well. Yeah. So, what does a what does a creative director do? A creative director, I think, has a plan and a vision and has the ability to communicate that plan and that vision to the creative team um, and then basically drive great work from the junior team right through to the senior teams that sort of match up to that vision and that plan. Mm -hmm. And then you're tasked with articulating it, um, the ideas in, in a way which you can share it with anyone in an elevator and they get it. Yeah. Which is... Making something simple is is really difficult, one of the most difficult parts of the job. Um, but I still am on the tools quite a lot, certainly. I love the sort of the, the vibe around pitches. I think that if you ever worked in agency land, you'd understand when a pitch comes in, it's everyone um, gets a bit manic and you're, you're doing long nights and long days. But you can sort of come out of it as the uh, worst of times and the best of times. And I think that that's... That's another great part about being a creative director is you kind of lead really talented people into hard work, which is hugely rewarding at the end of the day. It's fun work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been really fascinated by this term creative um, that, I mean, I've got an advertising background as well. And we, for some reason, we, we call the work, inverted quotes here, creative. Why, why do you think that is? Like, it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Um. I think like uh, like everyone has permission to be creative. Like a planner is creative, a front end developer is creative, a back end developer is creative. They're all creatives, um, and I think that we're loosening that term here at the agency. Mm. Uh, we work closely with a number of departments, which all fit into the creative department. I think that uh, it's a legacy from the old world, where the client would meet with the suit, the suit would get a download on everything. 
give that to the planner. The planner would turn that into a sharp insight. That sharp insight would be then given to a team to come up with an idea. And then that idea would be rolled out into a campaign. Yep. But so if you look at that as like a workflow, the point where the creativity really happens is when the, or the best way to describe the moment where they come up with the idea is the creative moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just legacy, right? I think that there's sort of, even before that though, it was the art and copy, wasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't called creative. It was like you guys do art and you guys do copy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then was it like kind of like in the 60s and 70s, they got together and formed teams. I'm not sure what vintage that was, but... Yep. Look, creative, everyone is creative. It's just how they actually apply that creativity. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to see a big shift in the industry towards that kind of idea that um, there's less creative teams per se and and just the fact that everyone in the agency is creative. And I, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it because um, I've worked in some like hardcore traditional creative agencies that produce great quality creative work um, and some agencies that... I guess are less um, less focused on the the creative idea and just more the fact that everyone in the agency is creative and there is a the output of work is different. Um, one is much more. I feel like I keep saying like creative driven, um, and the other is more. Mm, it's almost like solution driven. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure which is the best. Do you have an opinion? Yeah, I think that there's like a the, the combination is when it gets really exciting. Yeah, I think okay. that this kind of this notion of like combining art and science. I think creativity's never been more important because it creates that kind of it draws out that emotion in people, right? Happy, scared, sad, whatever that. I find that that comes from. Great creativity gives you a spike in that emotion, right? But the good solution is integral for what happens after that spike. So you don't want to drive traffic through a great ad to a product which stinks, right? Or you want to make sure that the feeling beyond seeing that commercial and being inspired to make the call or visit the website or do all that sort of thing is actually held up beyond the process of seeing the ad moment be that whatever sort of content that takes. Yeah. So, yeah, the combination of art and science, I think, is integral. Yeah, that's fair. Um, one of the other things that you mentioned in your, your intro, Tommy, was that you work with a lot of startups. Yeah. What does that look like? What, what, what do you do? How do you help them? Um, what startups do you work with? Yeah, sure. I think it's like uh, I was determined. I've always been fascinated with this kind of notion of being able to make something in your garage and turn into a business and you don't need an office, you don't need, all you need is really an idea and generally you can hack something together and be providing value to people pretty quickly. So there's not many excuses for not actually seeing through your idea, certainly into like an MVP version and that that is alone is enough for sort of being in a creative agency. There are so many ideas floating around. I mean, this is what we do. We draw up ideas and serve them up to our clients. And frankly, through like the first several years of my advertising career, it used to just be kill me that we were just throwing these ideas in the bin <coughs> after the client wouldn't buy them. So after several years of that frustration, it was just like, fuck it, let's go and make it ourselves. Yeah. So I've had a couple of ventures which, um, well, they didn't really work. They didn't work at all. They're not around today. One was um, Happy Wife, which was an app which sent a reminder to guys two weeks before their wife, girlfriends, mums, sisters, a birthday, anniversary, all that sort of thing, and then produced a curation of gifts. Which Genius. On one tap would come <laughs> uh, wrapped with an open card. Yeah, like I really bought into the idea because um, I've got four sisters and a mum and a stepmum and a mother-in-law. Yeah. Um, and it worked out that there was like 26 events across the year I had to buy a present for a female. <laughs> so I solved the problem for myself. But um, retail's hard. And the way that I set up the um, the business, there wasn't margins. The margins were just too tight. Um, and ultimately, after sort of on it for, I think it was like 9, 12 months, something like that, I actually just stood back and said, look, it's probably a day a week I'm spending on this thing. 
and it was just paying for itself. Mm. But what's the value of that day in my time? Mm -hmm. Um, Is that day the best way I can spend a day a week? Um, And the answer was no. The answer was kind of shelve it and uh, move on to something new. So it was a sad day when you shut it down, but at the same time, it was kind of a relief. And that's kind of when the podcast started because I was like, what am I going to do with this one day a week? Yep. I didn't have anything on my plate and I couldn't sort of pace around the house or the office. So I needed something and I wanted to do something which wasn't necessarily revenue driven. I was kind of exhausted with forecasts and P&Ls and business models. I just wanted to make something which didn't necessarily have a short-term commercial benefit attached to it. Yeah. Um, Before we get onto the the podcast, we'll we'll touch on that in a minute. Um, Have you had any other startups that that you've worked on personally that you've started? Um, There's been a number of ones. I've been involved in a few at various stages. I'm involved in one... um, uh, called Whispertip at the moment, which is an exciting company, which is basically a... I love football and I love pubs, so it was a really good fit for me when the guys came <laughs> and, um, and they told me about their idea. Um, it's essentially a universal tipping for the publican um, because the pubs are so old school in the way that they deal with customers. They know the customers when they walk in, but they don't have any kind of data or marketing platform to reach them um so these guys at whispertip have done a really great job at sort of creating the second the second generation of footy tipping or sports tipping you know you walk into a pub and they've got that big whiteboard Mm. behind the the bar with all the red crosses next to the footy tipping yeah they've taken that and created a digital version of that um which the publican owns the data and can send out um, notifications to different segments of customers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a really interesting growth plan there where they're going to, um, they've got a roadmap of great features. So it's an exciting business to be part of. Um, again, I'm part of it because I love beer, I love football, I love pubs, I love technology, and I've kind of picked it because of those reasons. Yeah. It's, um, I'm, I'm their user. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> it's a nice combination. Something that you were talking about before um, set me on a, a bit of a thought tangent, um, which was falling in love with your idea. And you talked about it um, in, uh, what was it, Happy Wife? Yeah. Um, and you said you solved your own problem and, 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 and you love the idea, but it just wasn't like financially viable to... To, to continue to build, there's kind of a bit of an inherent risk with startups in general of, about falling in love with your idea too much. Because I think a lot of um, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs or people who just have a, uh, a side a side business or a side project, rather, I think a lot of those guys or girls like they do it they do it because they want to solve something for themselves. But the, the inherent risk is if you're trying to build something that is going to turn into a business, um, if you're too in love with the idea, then it, it might not, you kind of overlook uh, a lot of the, the issues or um, you might not kill it quick enough and those kinds of things. Have uh, Beyond kind of your experience so far, has there been other examples of that in the past? I reckon that The Happy Wife is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Um, I completely agree with you and I think that the, you read all the startup books and startup culture, a lot of the chat is around never giving up, mm. fighting for your idea. You know, you're going to have really shit days where investors to say, it's not for us. I think the idea is, no, I'm not investing in that basically. And you've got to learn to dust yourself off and all that sort of stuff but sometimes you've got to listen to the voice um, of the customer where it's like no one's uptake is nearly what I thought it would be. Mm. Is there a pivot here or is it worth burying it? Um, It's a really hard chat to have with yourself. I remember a friend um, said, what does... I was going, I've got this idea of it needs to be an app because the notifications are really important and all that sort of stuff. And his advice was, what does it look like? Challenge yourself to make the app using email and like just email. So... 
this is an example of me falling in love with the idea and just being completely ignorant, is I set up the program on email, essentially, and there's much automation, much automation and segmentation of customers using email and surveys and all that sort of stuff. And even then, the signs I got back from that validation process was the crowd doesn't think this is a huge problem for them. There are a couple who used it, but basically I, my theory in reflection is that they used it because it was me and they wanted to help out and they were just supporting me personally. But if that connection wasn't there, they would have said, yeah, no, nah, not a problem for me. Mm-hmm. And I still turned my back on that information and went ahead um, and invested money in this thing. Um, and it was just a, like the whole falling in love with your idea is a really thing, a really nasty thing you got to watch out for. Um, and make your ideas disposable. The uh, you'll always have another idea, um, and you know the, the that muscle is a really important muscle to exercise. When it's let's walk away from it. Let's think of something else. Let's have one more run at it. See if we can make it better. And if we can't, let's kill it and move on. Yeah, there's um there's something inherently difficult about being completely honest with yourself and and having that self awareness to to look in the mirror and, and actually acknowledge when something's not working, whether it be a startup or a life decision, a relationship, a job, a hobby, whatever. Sometimes you've got to make that call because there is an opportunity cost to everything in life. You know, you only have 24 hours in a day. Yeah. So, you, you touched on it before. How you spend that is actually like really tough. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people go through their life um, letting the world dictate those 24 hours for them rather than kind of sitting down and go and, and making a an objective decision about whether they want to continue this project or this whatever. So, um, so yeah. The other thing that I was just thinking about um, as you're telling that story was uh, I have a friend of mine who's got a startup and, uh, and I, I kind of pitched them this idea um, for a different, a different startup that I was potentially going to work on. And they were like, yeah, like it's, it's good. It seems like it's a, a decent idea. But um, I probably wouldn't use it. Um, and what you need to do to kind of dispel whether this is an idea that you're in love with or an idea whether where it could go somewhere is, um, you know, ask 10 people and you need to get, you know, eight of them saying, fuck yeah, this is great. I would pay you money for it. And unless you get, you know, eight out of those 10 saying, I will give you X dollars for this, it's, it's, not, worth, it's not worth doing because... Yeah, it might be an idea that solves a problem, but not enough to turn into a business. Yeah. And there's also, is asking the question enough? Like, I think when you ask someone, would you pay for this? They'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go, okay, cool. Give me the money. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I reckon you're going to have 50% more drop off as well. Yeah. Do you know? So, there's a real, yeah, there's, something, there's a good survey to do, but be, be cautious of the throwaway. Yeah, I'd pay for it. It's like, can you actually extract currency out of these people yeah that's the real test and and even from like friends and family who i assume are going to be your your initial sounding board um saying hey give me give me 10 bucks for this idea like they're probably going to be your most engaged audience and if you can't get exactly 10 bucks out of those guys mm. then that you do have to have a real honest conversation well, like startups uh, what i think about is awesome about startups is they can go and solve a problem for a small group of people you know, like niche is okay in the startup world. If this is a really big, hairy problem for a small group of people, it's still a worthy venture to go and try and solve it for them. So, you could solve a small problem that lawyers have over lunch, mm-hmm. do you know, and that's kind of your market or um, various other things. So, I think that like it doesn't necessarily need to be a mass idea. You don't need to pick 10 people at random. If you find 10 people who are your potential customers yeah, and they say yes and then they reach for their wallet and say they'll give you a fiver for the idea, then you're onto something interesting as well. So, who you ask is another sort of um, axis on that graph you need to yeah. tick off. And, and if they're lawyers, I'd be asking for maybe a, a 500 rather than a fiver. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of Mate was made possible thanks to Open Universities Australia. 
With Open Unis, you now have the flexibility of studying single module postgraduate units from leading Australian universities without having to enrol in an entire degree. So this is perfect if you're a busy professional, um, you don't have to go to night school or anything like that. This is a brand new initiative that Open Unis has created, which allows you to upskill for your current role or maybe take the first steps towards a new one. And they have a really broad range of subjects that you can learn about. Things like technology essentials for managers or financial decision making. Or perhaps if you just want to learn something new, maybe you could study cyber terrorism and information warfare or democracy and dictatorship. There's over 100 units to choose from on topics from business to economics, technology, media to law. There's so many more. So instead of going to night school, why not work in a way that's flexible for you? Uh, You can work in your own time and learn about some really fascinating topics. To find out more about how to study a single unit from a leading Australian university with Open Universities Australia, head to open.edu.au. And thank you very much to Open Unis for your support of MATE. So let's let's move on to uh, to one of the other um, projects that you're working on uh, the podcast. Tell me about Future Sandwich. So Future Sandwich is sort of just uh, it really has been a, an experiment of mine, which is kind of still I treat like an experiment. Um, it's a podcast which started out as was going to be an interview like this. And yep. I was going to meet someone and have a sandwich with them. Um, and I collated two or three interviews with people um, and found that the people ranged from um, Nick Hodges was one of the first one, the head of innovation at News Corp, Steve Sammartino, who's a mate of mutual friend of ours, yep. uh, author of um, The Great Fragmentation, and he's a speaker as well. Uh, and then I met with, I went to America and interviewed a couple of agency people over there and I found we were talking about the same topics. And so I thought, well, from a user's perspective, is it better for me to, is it more interesting if I just basically highlight topics and cluster them together and I have several people talking in one episode about a theme um, as opposed to today we're interviewing Nick, as opposed to I've got four great people talking about driverless cars, let's just talk about driverless cars for an episode. Mm. So I threw out the model of let's just do an interview and have a sandwich with people to go and basically do episodes around topics. Yep. And also the sandwich I found was kind of, it was awkward. A lot of people were like quite uncomfortable with eating on a microphone. <laughs> um, well, having, having done the, uh, the podcast experiment myself and uh, listening to my voice on repeat um, more times than, than uh, I ever thought that I would in my life, I can understand how um, eating close to a microphone is maybe not a desirable sound to be... Uh... Yeah, and it just wasn't... It kind of came from um, Jerry Jerry's Comedians in Cars having coffee type thing where yeah. it was just one more ingredient which kind of gave the show structure. Yep. But it wasn't adding value um, to the conversation. If anything, it was kind of distracting. Um, yep. The guest felt like they had to eat it. And Did, did, did you bring the, sam- the sandwich? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I bought the sandwich uh, and... What did, you, what did you feed your guests? Nick Hodges and I made toasties in a boardroom. Yeah. That was good, man. I mean, Nick's... I could eat... I could have given Nick anything and he would have been still <laughs> talking um, with such, like, passion about anything. Um, we, we're getting but, real behind the curtain of Future Sandwich here. Here we are. Oh, come, come back. There's a few good stories. The um, Steve Sammartino is a germaphobe, so he wasn't into it. <laughs> Um, and I ate fish tacos um, at uh, Soho House in LA and um, like it was good it was alright but at the same time I was just really the user ultimately on the other side of the podcast wanted to hear great conversation Mm. and I eliminated that from the format 
because it was just getting in the way of a great chat. Sure. Um, and uh, so I um, bolted together a few episodes uh, and just pressed upload. Um, and it's been really good, man. I'm building like a really great community of people who are into it. Yeah. Um, it's a great show. Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. It's um, it's fun. I think from my perspective, I've got a blog post sitting there drafted, ready to go. The things I've learned from doing the podcast, I'll see if I can remember them. One is just the notion of the only way you can really understand it is to try it and immerse yourself in it. And I thought podcasts was a really mysterious kind of media universe. It kind of didn't follow the same rules as any other sort of ecosystem of content on the web. Um, it's very intimate, right? Yeah, it's intimate and and, and uh, it's still I hate ads on podcasts. I kind of will never, you'll never hear an ad on Future Sandwich, by the way. That's that's an official statement. <laughs> and in this case, you can say never. Um, <laughs> so you'll never hear an ad. Um the other, it is intimate. I think um, there's a little anecdote of uh, like it's kind of your, it's a real privilege you're sort of sitting in someone's ear. Yeah. And you've got to be quite conscious of that. You don't, um, it's not like a radio show or any other channel where it's a bit bit shouty. It's, it's definitely quiet, one-on-one time. It's very personal. Um, another thing I learned was kind of the art of like, storytelling and a narrative and stitching together multiple conversations and insights and statements to form a an arc is a real challenge um but it's a fun challenge like i certainly feel like um that's where the most effort comes from the research part is great i think um i enjoy the research part because selfishly i want to find out more about um Shit, what are the topics we've covered? Driverless cars, Bitcoin, VR, AI, 3D printing, advertising. There's another one in there which I can't remember right now. But each of them I wanted to immerse myself in and find out more about. So it's just as much an endeavor for me to go, oh, this is interesting. Maybe I'll do an episode on that. Um, and then just trusting that my listeners will enjoy that as well. Um, I think... Uh, no one in podcasting really knows what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's... I all, don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. I, I mean, I heard a, um, a great interview with a friend of mine, Ben Birchall, whose podcast is Ingridopedia, and he interviewed some of the guys from Gimlet yeah. on, at Wheeler Center, and they were confessing they don't know what else is yeah. what, what's up as well. I went to that event. It was yeah, great. Right. It was yeah. good, wasn't it? Yeah. So, Ben just sits outside here. Yeah. And it was fascinating to me, like I listened to startup podcasts and went through the whole Gimlet journey of season one and was yep. like a complete fanboy going, what a fantastic story that was and yep. just a brilliant podcast and Alex and those guys, fuck, I, I, like you guys are the poster boys of podcasts, yeah. but when you actually talk to them about yeah. the realities of being in the studio and, and nothing out uh, researching what the stories are, they don't, they're not necessarily perfect at that, but certainly what was the big one was the commercial side of producing a podcast. No one can really create scale mm. um, at the moment uh, on the podcast platform. They're, I mean, we've had serial and we've had some blockbuster hits like that, but it hasn't made $100 million for anyone. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a bit just like publishing gen- in general at the moment. Like to make money in publishing, you've just got to generate a shitload of reach and get a huge amount of downloads or hits or, or, or whatever uh, because the the click-through rates and the CPM, um, which is cost per 1,000 impressions uh, for those not in the industry, um, the CPM rates on advertising are just so low that like you just need huge scale to be able to generate any money. Yeah, which comes um, back to the point around why, God, the ad products at the moment, they just don't work. No one looks at banners. I mean, they've got the concept of banner blindness where... Yeah, or ad blocking. Yeah, I mean, ad blocking is a big one and um, I think that people are doing whatever they can. Like, this is like the rise of on-demand because it's ad-free. I'll pay 99 cents to watch something without ads in it. 
without question. Did you pay 99 cents for each episode of my podcast? I would, man. Get your wallet out. All right. <laughs> yeah, this is the bit, right? Get this is the bit where you have big moment. Yeah, I buy five. I buy five episodes. <laughs> there you go. You know. Let's see what I got here. I'm sifting through my wallet here, guys. There you go. This is I'll a big moment. I'll buy five episodes. Tommy has just placed five dollars on 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 the table here to to buy five episodes of Mate ad free. There you go. I won't guarantee that every episode will be ad free, but the next five will. I promise you that. That's all right. You can just cut one and send me the MP3. Okay, just right. for me. <laughs> Interestingly, I had a. Uh, this was like so flattering and so awesome, but um, a woman from like somewhere like Cincinnati or somewhere like random sent me an email going hey uh, can you send me your bank details I'd like to just put some money in your account I was like, <laughs> what do you mean what, uh, what's going on she goes I just love the show and I just want to make sure you keep doing it are you being supported yeah do you need some money and I was like I've designed the workflow so there's zero outgoings I'll tell you what you can do you can just share it for me and she's like okay cool and I was kind of <laughs> Press send on that going, damn it, how much money was she talking about? <laughs> you didn't, you didn't, you weren't curious to find out? No, I kind of, like fans, you, like, fans like that, there's probably only like 10 of them on, on the planet. Sure, who, but maybe she's like some rich Nigerian. Exactly. Nigerian. Nigerian. Who, who can, who can, you know, give I, you $10,000 or something. No, no, no. She, she wasn't asking for my bank details. She was basically going, how can I? get some money to you I think the show yeah. is fantastic and the way she worded it I knew she'd listen to it because she was referring to little nuggets inside but she um, that's a really she shared story. it everywhere but it was really surprising to go think oh, well that's that was the biggest sign um, that uh, that's it's something's going right do you find before you share an episode that you have the whole oh this is a shit one yeah. This is the every, one. Every, this, every single episode. What do we call that? It's got to have a name. It's like kind of pre-launch anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I, I just, still suffer from that every time. I'm yeah. like, fuck, you've, you've, nah, this could be better. And it's like, you've done three edits of it, dude. Just press send. I mean, that happened yeah. to me last night. Like, uh, I was... It, it's not just the, the audio. It's, it's all the accompanying pieces of it as well. So, yeah. I spend a lot of time on my podcast with the production quality of my intro and outro. Yeah. Um, as well as the, the show notes that accompany the show. So, I, I, I'm probably quite rare uh, as opposed to other podcasters where I will produce really detailed show notes. Um, and I'll probably spend an hour or so um, actually writing up show notes and links to, um, so, you know, f- from today's episode, I'm going to link to things like MVP. Um, for the people who don't know what MVP is, it's minimum viable product and it's a kind of startup methodology. Um, so, I'll, uh, I'll link that in the show notes of today's episode. Um, so, I, I kind of uh, spend a lot of time packaging the podcast, but I get a huge amount of anxiety around that. And, and the other challenge is I'm a perfectionist, um, huge, huge perfectionist. So, uh, knowing that there's potentially a typo somewhere or something just absolutely freaks me out. Yeah. And, you know, I always double, triple check things. And yeah. um, sometimes I see that as a, a bit of a weakness because I'm not able to move quickly enough. Uh, but in some respects, it's also a, a strength as well because it means the quality of work that I put out is always... Um, super, super, super great. Yeah. So, um, it's good, man. But like, you just, I was talking to Ben the other day. It's like every time I release an episode, I find all episodes get listened to again. Yeah. Do you know? So, yeah, the, the back, uh, the, the backlog get, gets, gets another run. Yeah. 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 Which to me means a new listener. Yep. Which is great. But you've got to just get better over time and have that approach as opposed to, Sitting there, essentially, like pushing pixels, as a designer would say. You just have to get good at just going, cool, done, let's go, move on to the next one, it's okay. Um, and I think that's what got me into podcasting, is I'd listen to podcasts in the top 10 and the editor's choice and stuff, and I kind of thought to myself, it's like, it's good, nah, it's not like, I reckon, I reckon I could like sort of do something which got close or matched yep. some of these podcasts, and that was feels like the bar is definitely going up production and celebrity um and media dollars are flooding into the podcast world like uh you know you go through the top 10 now you've got alec baldwin malcolm gladwell 
fuck, like Leonard Dunham, all these like proper beautiful writers and incredible presenters moving into the podcast world. Um, so yeah, that I think that's like short lived. Yeah, that time sort of twelve months well, ago when I was. It's good to get in now, right? Like at <laughs> exactly. ground level, so that you can yeah. be there when when the huge influx starts to come. Yeah. Um, like I mean, uh, PJ Vote, who's one of the co-hosts of Reply All, that event you were talking about that yeah. Ben Birchall hosted um, about a month or two ago. Which there's videos of that on YouTube. At the yes, I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, one of the things that PJ spoke about was wanting. Uh, he said that you know there's a there's a quite a tight um, podcast community in New York, um, and they knew that Sarah Koenig was working on Serial as it was being developed, and they they knew it was going to be great. They knew it was going to be massive. Um, So, they were developing their new show with Gimlet, which is called Reply All. It hadn't launched yet at that time, and they were saying, you know, we were just like racing to get the show live because we wanted to be there when Serial hit. Um, we, we didn't necessarily want to beat Serial uh, to the punch, but we just wanted to be there because, you know, it's like the the, the rising tides um, elevate all, all the ships or whatever that yeah, saying yeah, is. Yeah. Um, so, that was just kind of a really interesting insight. Uh, and, and I think this is going to continue to happen as more and more podcasts um, start to, to blow up and more people get into this medium. I mean, it's, it's a great uh, media format where it's, you know, completely on demand. Um and uh, and and what I love about podcasting is that you can you can do it in your downtime. You can listen in your downtime um, or when you're you're doing other things. So on your commute while you're mowing the lawns, um, driving somewhere, doing the dishes, laundry. Like I listen to podcasts when I'm brushing my teeth. Like all those kind of moments where I would just normally be doing nothing, I fill with like knowledge and inspiration now, which which I love. So and that's why I love always on your headphones, or do you put it uh, like? When you're brushing your teeth, is that a little um, like beach pill in the? No, no, it's, <laughs> it's just on loudspeaker on the iPhone. You're so, right. and I listen on um, on about one point nine times speed um, yeah. to most of my podcasts yeah, right. as well. Wow! So, because I've I Does listen. That make to- you anxious? That I no. Find those- <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh man, I need a break after like a couple of minutes. Even on like one point two or something, I think the lowest setting is. Uh, you, yeah, you're you're not a de- you're not a hardcore podcaster until you're on like at least one point seven five. Yeah, All right, this is <laughs> how can you score. even look yourself in the mirror, Tommy? Yeah, um, uh, I think like there's certain podcasts I'll listen to on like I I will religiously listen to on one time speed. Yeah, um, and those what's are an the, example of that? Like Reply All, yeah. um, Startup, uh, This American Life, like those those very narrative driven. Um, Stories, even yourself, um, Future Sandwich. I, I can't remember what the setting is I've got for that, but it's it's definitely not really high because the the ones that are more narrative and and you're talking about it before that arc driven um, way of presenting, mm. um, I like to follow that. I, I think when when a producer has put a lot of time into the um, the production quality of an episode, I want to listen to the way it was intended to be listened mm. to. Whereas if it's just an interview style show. I can race through that because I know generally the topics that they're talking about at a high level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I listen to, for example, this week in tech, um, and I, that's a two-hour episode a week. Um, so I race through that on two times speed because I know generally what they're talking about, but yeah. it enables me to get through it a bit quicker. So yeah. So um. So yeah. Just to kind of um, shift gears a little bit, or, or go back to something you were saying before. When you're talking about Future Sandwich at the at the start here, you talked about treating it as an experiment. What do you mean by that? Oh, it's kind of protecting, if you boil it down, it's kind of protecting my ego from being hit by failure, I suppose. <laughs> you know, as long as you call it an experiment, it's okay if it breaks. But if you say this is a... Look, I, I, no, that's not entirely true. I treat it like an experiment because I l- let the crowd dictate what happens next with it. Mm-hmm. I think that I take feedback really seriously from the listeners and the feedback really does inform actually what the next episode or the next theme or even, um, you know, how I talk. Do I stand in the booth or do I want to do it from a cafe next time? Do you know, I think that yeah. I'm not professing to know what I'm doing at all. Um 
And as long as I approach it with the methodology of this is an experiment, this can fail. But when it fails, make sure that you, um, it's kind of like what um, production and agency people call agile. It's like you just got to be responsive to what's working and what's not um, and adapt, right? And as long as you're in experimental mode, you're constantly looking at all the parts and the pieces and the players going, you know, that bit was a bit shit or even when I listened to it, I lost concentration or, you know, it was a bit noisy when I was doing that part and you've got to always be willing to um, dial up the bits that are working and dial down the bits that aren't Um, and the only way you can find that is by experimenting and pushing out and seeing what the crowd thinks. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Um, Another thing that I was going to ask you about, um, something you mentioned before was learning by doing and... I think I experienced a very similar thing with with my foray into podcasting. I was like, hey, there's this thing that I love. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I reckon I could do one. There's kind of a niche that um, there's some topics that I feel like aren't kind of being addressed, particularly in an Australian sense. Uh, so, I'm going to make my own podcast. Um, and I I planned this podcast. This is a pull, pull behind the curtain for mates. But I, I planned this podcast for probably two years before I hit go um, just because I was... I was kind of stymied by fear or by lack of knowledge or by, by whatever. Um, and as a perfectionist, I really struggled to, uh, to actually launch anything before I felt it was perfect. So, um, there's a, a joke that, um, Ethan Didaskalu, uh, has with me. Uh, if you want to listen to his show, I think it's number two. Yeah. Um, where he, he he said I had a, a brand guidelines document for my logo usage before I even had a, an episode. And that is entirely true. I a, I've got a friend of mine who designed the logo for this show. Uh, and like, I, I was like, cool, great logo. Can you chuck it in a PDF and just tell me what fonts and stuff? And I, I literally had a, a style guide before I had a show. Um, so, it it... it but, but you do, you only learn by doing. So, just to kind of come back to that topic, I, I thought that I had this vision for what the show was going to be and I started to design it and, and, and I ran a few interviews having no fucking clue what I was doing. In these offices, uh, in fact, here, just that room across the hall was where Jaden and me recorded the first show. And um, I didn't want to say it at the time, but um, I was shitting myself. I didn't know what I was doing. And Jaden was a bit uh, apprehensive and nervous too, so I didn't say anything because I didn't want to throw him off. But, like, in both of our minds... Jaden's weird at the best of times, all right? (laughs) We love Jaden. So, like, I think in both of our heads, we were just, like, shit scared, didn't know what we were doing. But, like... (laughs) I've got to listen to this episode. This sounds like a good episode. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a great episode. Like, it actually came out really well. So... I, I went in. I didn't even know how to set the mic up. Um, I, I pressed go. I recorded. Yeah. And then I sat on that recording for a year before I released it. So, like, there was just huge gaps. And, and had I had my time again, I would have just um, got into it quicker and tried to experiment quicker. Because, again, to, to go back to what I was talking about, you only learn by doing. So, like, I learned how to set up the microphone from actually just recording an interview. And I was like, oh, cool. So, there's this thing called game control. I need to, like, change that next time. And um, then I edited it and I was like, oh, okay, that was kind of challenging. But now I know how to do that for next time. And then, like, I figured out how to set up my RSS feed and upload to iTunes and all that stuff, right? But you only, like, you can watch as many YouTube videos and read as many guides and talk to as many people as you want. But you only know how to do it and can do it by doing it. Mm. And also, there's an immense amount of satisfaction that comes with um, doing something that you thought was impossible um, or that, that's actually quite challenging. Yeah. Um, so, there's a huge amount of fulfillment that I get from this podcast just looking at it now in, in the iTunes store going, I created this show that that like people listen to. There was a great moment recently, actually, where um, someone reached out to me on uh, on Facebook and was like, hey, like I, I listened to your show. Um you know, I love it. And I'm like clicking on their profile, zero mutual friends. And I'm going, this is fantastic. Like somebody who I do not know listens mm. to my voice. Mm. That's, that's like a really weird concept. Um, so, so that was like, you know, quite fulfilling and, yeah. and yeah. Um, Tommy, I wanted to ask about the, uh, the, the success of 
Future Sandwich. So you got featured on iTunes New and Noteworthy, and yep. then subsequently you also got a feature in uh, iTunes Editor's Picks. Yep. Um, I think a couple of things that probably go towards that is, you know, your, your great show artwork, um, really well-produced show, great content. You had um, quite a few five-star reviews. Thought You had the perfect storm of things happening. Um, mm. It's a great show. Thank you. So... I wanted to ask, like, what, what's what's that journey been like? Have like, do you keep track of stats? How's the show performing? That kind of thing. Yeah, I think um, I think it's like it's one of those things that I've been involved in a lot of things where it hasn't worked, and I think it's nice to see this one working modestly, um, like certainly exceeding my expectations of consistent people tuning in and listening. Yeah. Um, the day of releasing an episode is a really exciting day. You know, you're kind of getting a couple of thousand listens in a day, which has sort of exceeded any of my expectations altogether. Yeah. Um, and as you say, you're hearing from people from completely different walks of life. If you go into the SoundCloud analytics, you can see all around the world people are listening to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a really sort of satisfying and inspiring sort of thing to see. It motivates you to go, obviously go on and keep making more. Yep. And I wasn't actually expecting it. I remember the day or the week I launched Happy Wife, I was getting press and I won a um, the TechCrunch pitch off in New York with Happy Wife. Um, I was going on Shark Tank and I remember coming home going, I've had zero sales. Right. You know, And the sales was the bit that I really cared about. Mm. When I was having all this great press and my friends were like seeing, you know, the TechCrunch write up and, you know... Um, uh, knew that I was going on Shark Tank and all this sort of stuff, but it was like the bit that mattered was seeing a sale. So to see a listen is the equivalent of seeing a sale, mm. you know. Um, and so to get new and noteworthy was really flattering, and then to be an editor's pick, I think, is um, is a really sort of privileged position to be in there. I'm in pretty impressive company yep. in that category there. And the artwork as well is something I, I sort of didn't. It wasn't an oversight that. I chose that kind of loud orange purely because when you graze through the app store, there's a lot of white and pale blue and black and that sort of thing. I was like, what's a color which isn't really yeah. used a lot? So that was intentionally um, chosen. Yep. Um, and then getting the ratings in the first couple of episodes was something important to do because I just found out that was currency. Yeah. So that was um, an important thing to do. But, you know, I haven't asked for um, like 29 out of the 32. No, I'm joking. I've, I can't remember. I don't even know which ones are organic or which nots. But yeah. Um, I think you, you need to do the hard work if you want to promote your podcast at the start mm. and get yourself off on the right foot. Consider your artwork. Get family and friends to rate you up and listen and give you feedback. It's not just about the rating. You want them to rate because they really rate it. Mm. Um, and also just be okay to share and self-promote. I think self-promotion is one of those things that I, people would go, you don't struggle with that. But self-promoting is hard. Yeah. Do you know, like you kind of, some days you're just like, oh, God, everyone must be so sick of me on Instagram sharing yeah. this bloody... Oh, another episode, fuck, unfollow. Yeah. You know I mean, but thankfully people don't. Yeah. People don't. Um, it's just this kind of this fear and this um, voice that, you know, tells you to um, not keep doing what you um, believe is doing or difficult. Yep. So we've got about 10 minutes left um, and I had a couple final questions. Sure. So let's just maybe powwow through these, do like a, a, a three minute on, on each. The first is, what's exciting you about tech right now? I think VR is definitely exciting me at the moment. I feel like it's kind of really hitting its strides over the past couple of years. The technology felt great, not phenomenal. Um, the content certainly has taken a long time to kind of catch up to that. Mm. Um, and from my perspective, it's not like one of my clients using it and all their customers using it. It's just about this whole new immersive media which is available to us now. Yep. Gaming, storytelling is the bit that I'm really excited about. 
um, and the whole notion of us all having Oculus um, or any others um, in our living room, in our living rooms, and being able to connect with people in this virtual world, and it just being a sensational experience. Um, I feel like we're just hitting our strides. Um, there feels like there's been a big leap in VR over the past 12 months and it's just starting to come into the market now, um, as I say, both from a tech perspective and from a game um, content perspective. I think uh, I get really uh, inspired when you put the headset on people for the first time. They yeah. haven't really been in there. And I think that yeah. even the experience they're having is, um, you know, if you put Vive on and you can kind of step around and get down on your knees and look up and down and move around, it's significantly different and we're going to start seeing some great leaps in uh, innovation there. Mm. You know, the first person to mention VR is, uh, is something that's exciting them. So I, I, uh, I, there's a bit of a pattern here. I think I might need to get a, a VR expert on the show. I don't know I who... I can help uh, you out with that. That would be wonderful. There's a, um, a great VR shop called Start VR out of Sydney. Yeah. And talk to Kane, the CEO there. He's great. Awesome. Mm. Um, the, the second last thing I wanted to ask you was what's overrated in tech right now? I think, uh, I think the performance of advertising, um, I think that's a billion dollar industry and it's got a lot to answer for as far as, as far as its effectiveness. Yep. Um, and the amount of money spent on stuff like display advertising, um, ads across platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, etc. I still think if brands take a portion of their money and apply it to creating content and experiences that are driven by earned media, um, I think uh, they'd get a much better result. Yes, it might take a bit longer to get there and they don't have the luxury of getting eyeballs. I just question how valuable those eyeballs really are. So I think that ad products in tech are overrated. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And then finally, who should I interview next on Mate? You've interviewed Sammer? No, Sammer is uh is on the on the schedule. He's haven't, great. haven't had a chat with him yet though. Yeah, I think um I would interview Nick Hodges is great as well, head of innovation for News Corp. Yep. He's a ripper. Uh, ben Birchall, who's out here, I can come and introduce you to. Yep. If you haven't already met him before. Uh, so Ben's podcast is um, Ingridopedia. Another interesting guy is Ben Keenan, who works at our kind of sister agency, Clemenger BBDO. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Warm Cola, he is on Twitter. Um, <laughs> look, there's there's four people that'll definitely keep you occupied. Um, Love it. I just noticed that they're all guys. Um, I think there's there's a girl called Harriet Ray who's really interesting who works here as well. She's part um, agitator, tech creator, mm-hmm. uh, part philosopher, <laughs> and she's British and she um, ran a startup from a beach in Thailand, um, and she's got a great story. Yeah, talk to her. She's good. Awesome. I do, uh, I do need to get some more female presence on the show, I think. Um, so that's, uh, that'd be really helpful. Mm. Tommy, thanks for coming on the show today. No worries. Pleasure. I much appreciate it. So I teased it at the start of the show, um, but here's a bit of an update on what's been happening with Tommy since we recorded this interview. I'll start off by saying that Tommy no longer works at the agency. He's uh, gone off solo as a creative consultant. So, a lot has changed in his life. Um, He's still a dad, obviously, but now he's consulting with agencies on pitches and creative projects and and also working directly with other clients, um, which he's really loving. The podcast, Future Sandwich, is now well into its second season and it is bigger and better than ever. And uh, if you're not subscribed to Future Sandwich, um, but you are listening to Mate right now, uh, you, you occupy a very interesting uh, space in the world of podcasting, um, and I highly encourage you to go and check out Future Sandwich. It's an amazing show. Tommy has also been working on an interesting venture. It's uh, it's actually an 
artificial intelligence that helps prevent cancer. I can't wait to hear more about this, so uh, perhaps we can revisit it at a point in the future. It sounds fascinating as well as world-changing, so uh, congratulations, mate. As you will have heard from listening to this episode, Tommy is very generous and super friendly, and so he's happy to have a chat with anyone who wants to reach out to him. Um, You can find him on social media or through his website, tommymccubbin.com. Thanks for listening to Mate. If you'd like to find out more information about the show or me, head to the website, matepodcast.com, or you can follow me on social media. I am at matepodcast on Twitter, or just search matepodcast on Facebook or LinkedIn. Thanks to Josh Armour from Armour Pod Productions for editing today's episode. The Mate logo is by Courtney Carmen, and the theme music is by Nine Inch Nails. Our ad music is by Ben Sound, used under a Creative Commons license. Made Podcast was made with love and that enthusiastic feeling you get during a morning run in my hometown, Melbourne, Australia. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and this was a Jaffrey product. Bye for now. <laughs>